Welcome to the Art of Faith podcast. I'm Joshua Kapczynski. Art of Faith is a production by Granite Creek Studios, and we're going to have some more productions coming down the pike pretty soon. And today's topic, we're in a series called Who is Jordan Peterson? Not necessarily going over a lot of art history as we usually do, but I want to go over his 12 rules of life and then uh, eventually his 12 more rules for life. And the reason is because he's got something very important to say uh, to society and specifically, I believe, the church. So, yeah, I'm a fanboy. And, um, uh, well, I think, well, he's changed my life considerably. And this is somebody that I am uh, reading and learning from more so than uh, your typical evangelical uh, pastor. So right now, uh, I guess you'd say that Jordan Peterson is my mentor. Today's topic is his seventh rule, pursue what is meaningful and not what is expedient. This is a great topic, and this chapter is probably the most challenging chapter that I've read in trying just to explain some of the concepts, so we'll see how well I do. Uh, The idea, the initial idea is um, postponing pleasure, uh, spending time on the concepts of sacrifice. Why why do we sacrifice? Why humans should sacrifice? And putting that into the context of basically what is the meaning of life and why is there suffering? So in this chapter, he goes he goes after the the concept of the problem of evil and the human condition and the moral dilemma. He'll hit on this question that everybody has to ask themselves, what is the meaning of life? And he comes right out of the gate, basically answering it. In the beginning of the chapter, it comes off as being very little, little negative, little pessimistic, because uh, he will say that basically life is hard and it's full of pain and is full of suffering. And so that's, uh, that's, that, well, that, that's tough, right? But that is true. I mean, life, life is, life is complicated. And you know, maybe you're listening to this right now, and you're not going through pain or suffering. Uh, but the truth is, we all will go through pain and suffering at some point in our lives. And he will quote Thomas Hobbes, who was a famous um, theologian slash philosopher of the, the Enlightenment. And Thomas Hobbes, is, his famous quote is that man's life, the life of man, is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. So that's uh if that's the that's that's what we get to look forward to is what Thomas Hobbes would say. Life is brutish and short. It's mean, nasty, brutish and short. And that is not how we want to live. That's not the that's not what we believe as Christians uh that that God has intended our life to be. He doesn't want us he doesn't want our life to be uh nasty, brutish and short. He wants it he Jesus came so that we could have life and live it to the fullest. And even though he starts off with this, frankly, this truth that life is brutish and short, uh, he will describe how you can have a meaningful life. 
He reads, and I will read from Ecclesiastes um, chapter 2, a very profound wisdom quote that will encapsulate the concept that, that life is meaningless. And this is, this is from the Bible. So our own Bible says that life is meaningless. But bear with me, because I'll explain it when we get to the end. So this, of course, is written by Solomon, supposedly the wisest man that's ever lived, and he is, he is considering um, you know, what life is all about and that his whole uh, futility and the shortness of his, of his existence. So Solomon says, I said to myself, Come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my mind to know cheer, I searched my mind how to cheer my body with wine my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I met, excuse me, that till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven the few days that they have of their life. I made great works, I built houses, and I plant I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of trees, and I made myself pools from which water from the forest came, and growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my own house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and treasures of the kings and of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, man's delight. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasures in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had spent in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness, and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, and as light excels, ex excels darkness. The wise man has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that one fate comes to them all. Then I said to myself, what befalls the fool will also befall me. Why then have I been so very wise? And as I said to myself, all this is vanity. For of the wise man 
as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will be long forgotten. How the wise man dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was so grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil, which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it for the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, and yet he will master all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about, and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a man who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave all to be enjoyed by a man who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and great evil. What has a man uh, from all the toil? What has a man gained from all the toil and strain with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of pain, and his work is vexation. Even in the night, as the mind does not rest, this is vanity. There is nothing better for a man that he should eat, drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw from the hand of God, from apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he gives work of gathering and heaping only to give one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving for the wind. All right, so not the most positive verse, and Solomon is dealing with, like, oh, we just do all this work, and what do we do it for? We do it for absolutely nothing. So in other versions, he will say, life is meaningless. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So that that very concept came from, well, it came from the Bible. Uh, have fun, because, you know, it's not going to last long, and so tomorrow you're going to die. So yeah, that's this is this is good stuff, right? Um, we have to go back, and I know we've probably we've hit on this quite often, but we have to go back to the fall. We have to go back to the garden. We have to go back to Adam and Eve, our our ancestors, our parents, if you will. And before the fall, they were in complete union and bliss, you could say, with with God. They walked with the Lord in the garden. And they had no concept of of death. They had no concept of toil. They were not working at this time, so they didn't have to. They didn't have to punch their time cards. There was no grind. There was no mortgage to be paid, and so they had they had life, um, life to the full, if you will. Peterson and even other theologians will argue that before the fall. Adam and Eve were, in a sense, not awake. They weren't fully conscious. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but Peterson will go down that path that Adam and Eve 
were not conscious because they were not aware of the problem of evil. They had not yet eaten from the tree of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil. So you could say that they were, yes, they were, they were walking with God, but in a sense, they were ignorant. And when, uh, when the serpent, when the you know, when Satan himself tempted them with the fruit, they ate it, and then they became uh, aware. They became self-aware. They realized that that they were that they were naked. Now, their their punishment for sin. For, for that rebellion against God because they did what they weren't supposed to do. They ate of that, of that forbidden fruit. Uh, because of that, 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 that sin, the fall, because of that moment, um, God commanded them that they had, from that point on, they had to work, that they had to toil, that they had to, um, you know, Till the ground, and and it was going to be by the, the sweat of their brow. Before this moment, they weren't sweating anything. That like life was good, and now they had to to make ends meet. So they had to they had to work for their their very existence, their very short existence uh, on the planet. Now that seems like wow, that that seems pretty harsh, God. Uh, but in it, there is there is well, the bigger picture is that there's redemption. Their assignment to work serves a purpose. And we have a biblical understanding of work. So we're all supposed to work. We all have to, you know, we all have to make a way in this, in this life. We have to provide for our families and provide for ourselves. We have to, you know, and again, some of us are scraping by and getting by. Um, but we've learned as humans that in the, in the way that we organize and the way that we come together as, as, as a people, as, as people who are collaborating together, uh, we've learned that we can, we can trade, we can share, we can live in commune, although, you know, we're not fans of communism, but we can cooperate together. We can work off of each other's uh, strengths. We can alleviate our weaknesses by tapping into somebody else's strength. So this is this is the genius of humankind: is that we have figured out ways to trade. We've figured out ways to um, barter, if you will. And there's been there's been great power. So. Yes, maybe in your life, you know, you're you're not making it, but like just step outside of your own circumstances and your own life and just look at well, let's just start with our country. Just look what our country has done. It's absolutely it's amazing what happens when people get together and they pull their skills and they learn how to cooperate. I mean, right now we're we're getting to the point where we're becoming godlike in in our accomplishments. Not only are we going to the moon, it looks like we're going to create a new species altogether in the form of AI. Um, like we're absolutely we're we're amazing. Now that that is that's a gift from God. 
Like we are made in his image to create things that don't exist. And to, and again, to cooperate, to, to continue to build and to build, you know, the building of empires and the building of technology. It's just, it's absolutely incredible what we, what we're able to do in the area of finance and, and, and multiplication. This harkens all the way back again to our, to the, the children of Adam and Eve. And so we, we see, we see their first children begin to try to cooperate and eventually they do. But we know that Cain and Abel, the first, you know, the first, uh, first children, uh, they had to work and they, they had different types of jobs. And what gets highlighted is that uh, they knew that from their work that sacrifice, a sacrifice was required. So Cain, the farmer, had to sacrifice what he what he had done with his hands. So he had to he had to give back to the Lord uh, a sacrifice, and. Abel, likewise, gave a sacrifice of what he was good at, uh, which was far, which was animal husbandry. Like he was most likely he was a hunter-gatherer, but he had, you know, he had animals. And so um, when they presented their sacrifices to the Lord, Abel's was received and accepted by the Lord. Cain's sacrifice was received but was not accepted. Scriptures say that uh, that Cain's sacrifice was a portion. So uh, we don't know all the details, but basically it just wasn't good enough. And when it's rejected, Cain, like there's something inside of Cain that that just that just bubbles up and it's it is like the worst of humanity because he, he, he's going to kill his brother. And why does he do this? He kills his brother because, first off, he is dejected and angry at God, that, that God would not accept his sacrifice, even though his sacrifice was subpar. It was not, you know, it was not, it didn't really cost him much. It cost him a little. And for whatever reason, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and the, the idea is that it, it, it cost him something. It was, it was something that uh, it, was, it was painful for him to give. And regardless, whenever we sacrifice something, whether it's to the Lord or we you know, sacrifice for someone else or we give of ourselves to someone else, and if it's not received, uh, Cain's response is understandable. So if you've ever, you know, if you've ever tried to do something nice for somebody and they they didn't uh, reciprocate or they didn't like it or they just kind of brushed it off, like how does that make you feel? It makes you feel like, wait, I, you know, I did all this and and now you just don't you don't like it. And so like there is this there's this very primal reaction about not being accepted. And that is what that that throws him off. But the other side of the coin, too, is that, that Cain is jealous of Abel. And what we can kind of infer is that not only was he jealous, 
but Abel is is most likely the well, he's he's God's favorite at the moment, right? It's it's never fun to compare yourself to one of God's favorites, and and so he's jealous, but he also looks up to Abel as you know the 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 first son, the 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 beloved son, the the son that does it all. So there's this there's just this. Um, he he idolized his brother, but he hated his brother at the same time. And so this once relationship that they most likely had between the one that could grow the crops and the one that could butcher the meat, like that relationship just it it, it falls apart, and we see our first expression of chaos in this world. So we go from a collaboration to chaos, and it happens pretty quickly. And we know the results of that afterwards. Cain's attitude gets transferred into his children and his to his children's children. Cain is uh, again; he's this he's this angry, bitter critter who uh, wants he wants the good life. You know, he wants to have he wants to have it all. And we begin to see his kids just, you know, demonstrate this. Um, Lemek, one of his, I think it's seven generations from, from Cain, Lemek uh, also begins to, to kill. And he kills, I, I forgot how many he kills, but he kills quite a few. And why does he kill? It's because he wants stuff. He wants things that, that are not his. And he, uh, he wants them and he wants them now. So that's what Lemek does. And then later we see another descendant called Tubal Cain, who is the inventor of weapons of war. And so he begins to devise uh, bronze and iron tools. And so we, we see the, the, basically the introduction of technology in the person of Tubal Cain. And then the machine begins, and then the system begins with Tubal Cain. Uh, and then shortly after that, ironically, we get we get Noah and the flood, and so there is this there's this huge tension of not just being inside of God's will, but of man's desire to have what they want and to have it and to have it now. So uh, Cain and his children's problem is that not only are they violent, not only are they jealous, not only are they despondent because God doesn't because they didn't make God happy with their sacrifice, but they also that they want they want the blessings and they want it now. In short, they they didn't sacrifice well. Now, we all sacrifice. It is it is part of human nature and it is part of success to learn how to sacrifice. It's the idea of, of postponing pleasure. So there might be some things that you want, and you might have enough money in the bank account, I don't know, to go to Disneyland today if you wanted to. But then you know you might not be able to make your mortgage later. So you begin to, to build in this idea that, okay, and in order for me to find my future self at having fun at Disneyland, I need to sacrifice something now. I need to, I need to invest in myself now. 
And that that is a that is what defines actually successful people. People that have learned the secret of sacrifice are successful people. They invest, again, they postpone pleasure. They know that they have to invest in their future self and not just their self now. But the carnal man wants to fulfill his desires and he, he wants to fulfill his desires now. So again, it goes back to the title of this. It is, uh, you know, don't seek what's expedient, seek what is meaningful. And the overarching idea is that what is meaningful, you have to sacrifice for. All right, so life is brutish and short. Um, so how are we to respond to this? How are we to respond to um, finding ourselves as people of faith, knowing that life is hard and knowing that, um, that you know, even if we work really hard um, as, as uh, Solomon says, it's all... It's all vain. It's all vanity. It doesn't really matter. Somebody's gonna, somebody's going to, to do it anyway, uh, or somebody's gonna take what you, all the hard work that you've, that you've worked at. Um, one of the illustrations that, that he will highlight, and this is what's amazing about, again, uh, not a theologian, not a pastor, but a psychologist, is that he's going to. He's going to use Jesus as, of course, the ultimate sacrifice. Now, where you and I are going to maybe, you know, sacrifice our time, we're going to sacrifice our needs and our wants for a better family or for a better life. So again, we we understand this concept. And yet, like if we're looking at Solomon, we're going to realize that like it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's all meaningless anyway. And the encouragement is that although no matter how good we are or how well we learn to sacrifice, maybe we're tithers and we've tapped into that secret of God's finances. And, you know, maybe we, we know that uh, we need to give of ourselves and not be takers. Um, despite our very best intentions, our sacrifices will never be quite good enough in the in the temptation of Jesus he is first off he's baptized he begins to start his ministry uh, at the beginning of his baptism John the Baptist dunks him comes out of the water um, God the Father from from heaven says behold this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so, um, I mean, that that's like God is saying, I, I am pleased with this person. I am pleased with Jesus. I'm pleased with my son, in whom I am well pleased. And, and, and then at that moment of God, um, in essence, saying, I am pleased with his sacrifice, even though it hasn't happened yet, he knows that it, that it will happen. He says, in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, the third member of the Trinity descends in the form of a dove and rests, and I believe um, 
uh, empowers Jesus. Now, Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be empowered because he is all power. And yet, for some reason, the Holy Spirit rests on him. And then Jesus is being, he's, he, he functions under the obedience of God the Father with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't really have time to get necessarily into Trinitarian theology right now, uh, but that's how I believe that that it that it's functioned. So Jesus is acting fully as a full man, but yet being empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is giving him uh, a purpose that is that is universal. It's a big giant purpose, and the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted, uh, and this is where. This is where Jesus is going to start sacrificing. Yes, of course, he sacrifices on the cross, but this is where he begins to sacrifice. This is where he begins to lay his life down because he he goes into the desert for, for 40 days without any food or without any drink, and I'm sure that the, the environment was not pleasant. So he's not going... At, this is not a club med retreat. This is not glamping. He is, he is under huge duress. And at his weakest physical moment, um, the devil comes and he tempts him, and he says, uh, "I can give you, I can give you everything that you want. I can, I can give you, uh, I can give you food." So, in fact, Jesus, you actually have the power to command the rocks to turn into bread. They'll turn into bread, and then, and then you that that need, that physical need, will be met. He goes on to tempt him with, um, you know, with fulfillment. You know, you you have the ability just to be spiritually fulfilled. You you don't you can you can be happy. You can be a happy camper, and uh, all you know you just you just have got to, um, you know, bow down and worship me. In essence, you have to sacrifice to me instead, and then I will give you everything that you want. Does it get that that Faustian idea that the devil's the, the deal with the devil that? He's, he just wants to buy your soul. And of course, Jesus says, man, you know, well, first off, he says, man does not live by bread alone. And then he quotes scripture, you cannot tempt the Lord, your Lord, your God. And then probably the final uh, mind-blowing temptation is that he presents all of the kingdoms of the world. And I like to think of it this way. Uh, when, when the devil shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, it's just not the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire or, or the, you know, the Jewish leadership at the time. He is showing him all of humanity. He is showing him absolutely everything. America, Russia, China, uh, past, uh, past, present, and future. And he's saying, I can just give you all this. Like, and I can give it to you now. Again, you just have to bow down and you just have to worship me. So I can give you, I can give you power. I can give you all this power, and you can have it in in a blink of your eye, in the blink of an eye. All you got to do is just uh, take the easy road, just take what's easy. And of course, Jesus does not take the easy road, and he comes out, and you know he resists that temptation, and he's ministered to by angels. So, um, if Jesus is our model, we see him modeling right here out of the gate, that it is best to bypass what's expedient and to seek and to go after what is meaningful. So the purpose of sacrifice, uh, it's going to teach us 
a very profound and confusing lesson on how we ought to position and orient ourselves to the Lord. Meaning that when we are sacrificing and when we are doing it well, when we are doing it from the spirit of Abel, like God will be happy with us. And of course, we don't want God to be happy with us. We want God to be happy with us. We don't want him to be mad at us, right? I mean, does, does God get mad at you? Um, well, maybe in, in a way, I mean, God loves you and he's for you and he's not against you. Um, but he also wants to be pleased with your sacrifice. And so we can come at sacrifice and say, all right, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to sacrifice. So I'm going to postpone pleasure so that I can get more at the end. So the logical mind, the business mind begins to kick in and say, all right, if I, if I put, put this off here and if I invest this here, then I'll have more later. Right? So that's, very basic thing. And like, like what Peterson gets into and he highlights and what the Bible highlights specifically in the story of Cain and Abel is that you can sacrifice and it still not be acceptable to God. And that, that like, I'm, I'm sure nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. And in, in practical everyday life and ministry, like I've seen it, like I've seen it over and over again where, you know, maybe somebody coming in, they're like they're all broken and jacked up and, you know, they want to get, they want to get their life right. And they want it. They want blessings. They want to be blessed. You know, they're, they're tired of, of, of they're tired of the pain, right? They, they want to alleviate the pain of, of life. And so they'll sacrifice a little bit. You know, they'll, they'll sacrifice their Sunday morning. You know, they'll, they'll come to church instead of watching Netflix um, in the morning. Or, you know, they might, they might give to charity instead of spending it upon themselves. Or they might help somebody in church, um, you know, instead of going on, you know, a date or something. So, like, they, they know, they understand, like, it, but human nature understands the concept of sacrifice, of, of giving in order to get. And I would, I don't necessarily know how to pastor people through this because I, I know I've seen people like just like even recently, uh, people have said, you know, I've, I've been coming to church on Sunday and my life still sucks or, um, I, I'm trying, you know, I've been tithing and I'm still broke. God hasn't come through for me. And, uh, I've helped this person and, and nobody's helping me. And that is a transactional relationship between God and, and people and the like. And the sacrifice that God requires is in essence, unconditional because, it is it is payment for a sin and it is it is the original sin it is being stuck in in this world of of darkness it is because we're we're stuck in this world um where 
man's inhumanity towards man has tainted us. And so in essence, like maybe, you know, you're not, you know, you're not a psychopath. You're not a, a mass murderer, but that is still a part of, of human nature. And that is part of who we are. And in essence, we have to sacrifice for even the sins of others. Now, not, no one wants to hear that because we all want to take responsibility for our own stuff. And we definitely don't want to take responsibility for other people's sins. But that needs to be the attitude and the position of the heart. It's like, no, I am sacrificing. Like, even though I'm a nice person and I and I didn't do anything horrible, um, I I. I I don't have to. I don't have to give it all, and now I'm not saying that you just go ahead and give everything that you have, and you know, sell your house and give it to the poor. I'm not saying that, although there are other scriptures that do say that. Um, but what I am saying is that we have to come at the the sacrificial lifestyle, um, knowing that. We all have the potential. We all have the potential to being the worst of the worst. Like it is, it is in us, and we have to face that that horrible truth about humanity and who we are. So, um, probably. Most of us listening have never murdered anybody. And, well, that's a good thing. But maybe you've wanted to murder somebody. Like you've committed that sin in your mind. Uh, maybe that's like, oh, uh, you know, I'm just not, I'm not that type of a person. I just, I just couldn't do that. Um, if you're not tied to a higher purpose and a higher meaning, and if you can't, if you don't have the ability to pick up and carry your own cross, and if you can't um, come to the truth that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word of the Lord, like if you can't, if you don't have that type of a of a spiritual walk, and if you get thrown into a system of this world, well, you you just might murder somebody. Uh, we're all, I shouldn't say we're all, but. A lot of us are in an environment where, um, because in this nation, maybe it doesn't seem like it, but it is somewhat true that we cooperate very well. We have a we have a decent system of uh, helping each other survive. But if that whole structure has been taken away, uh, what horrible things would you do to keep what is yours? When... When Soviet era Russia and or the fascists in Germany, when when good people were faced with the reality that everything was going to be taken from them, or that they had to fight for what was theirs, then people, good people, had done horrible things. And that is a that's a truth that that we just don't like to to look at. Uh, one of the Peterson talks about the concept of PTSD. So specifically, when Americans send soldiers over to fight wars, 
Um, they are they're experiencing things that that they're experiencing violence that causes traumatic stress. That is something that you just can't unsee and that you can't get over. You know the the basic the basic horrors of war. Now, the damage that is done that is the worst is not just from soldiers that experienced brutal, bloody death, but it was the soldiers that not only viewed brutal death, but also participated in brutal death because they're being instructed by their government to, to kill. And so we know that, you know, in Vietnam, they were instructed to kill innocent people. And that, and, and I know this from, from people that, that I've known that have, that went through Vietnam and other wars, like they were required to take life and, um, and to take innocent life too. And that just jacks you up like that, that jacks you up on a, on a couple of different levels. One, because you know that, that, that you have taken an innocent life and this is where it gets a little dark, uh, two, there, there might even be some part that enjoyed it, that it actually enjoyed the violence of it all. And because there is a, because when that, that, that sin nature kicks in, when the spirit of Cain kicks in and, and you, and you, you kill because, because you're told to, but then, then Cain kicks in and, and it kills because you, you get a satisfaction out of it. Now that that's some messed up stuff. And, and we are all susceptible to that. So we can all say, um, I'm not, and I don't think this is too far from the truth because, you know, we want to protect our country. Right. And, 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 and I'm a, I'm human. Like I would protect my family. I would pr- protect my community. I'd protect my, my country. I, I'd want to say that I would, I would defend my family. Um, when I've had family members, uh, threatened in the past, um, like violently or physically, like we've, I've had a couple of instances where something like that, not nothing too traumatic. I don't want to inflate my experience here, but yeah, I remember having feelings like, like you you better not, you better not hurt my wife because not only will I defend my wife. Now here's the thing. Like I will torture you in the process. Now that is, that is something that like we need to just, get out of our system because, um, you know, unfortunately all we have, uh, and then not unfortunately, but scriptures tell us that Cain slew Abel, but we don't know to what degree. And if he despised what God had did to him, and if he despised his brother, uh, I'm sure it was more than just hitting him on a head with a rock. There was probably some sadistic behavior going on in there too. So we're all capable of of doing evil that we don't think that is in us. Um, I've had friends that, older, of course, older friends, um, that grew up in Nazi Germany. And 
Like they're good Christian people. They're amazing people. And I could clearly say that they loved God. Um, but they were in they were a part of a system, an ideology that that indiscriminately murdered millions. And it was difficult for them to justify or to even reconcile their reaction, their passivity, uh, or their acceptance of the situation. Now, from our point of view, we can be like, well, you, you didn't stand up to Hitler. You didn't stand up to the Nazis. Um, they didn't necessarily see it. Again, they're trying to protect what 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 is theirs. They're trying to protect the motherland. They're trying to protect their way of life, and and so they didn't necessarily see the evil, or they they turned a, a blind eye to the evil. And again, that's a that's a scary uh, situation to be in. And and so um, I guess we have to ask ourselves, what would we do if we were in, in a similar situation like that. So again, how does that, how does that re- relate to living a, a sacrificial lifestyle? The sacrificial lifestyle will say, again, you have to put my needs above, above other needs. And, um, I don't, I don't live by, by bread alone. So meaning is, is the antidote to expediency. So again, the expediency, the expediency says, um, I want everything that life has to offer because once again, life is, is short, nasty and brutish and, and there's nothing worth living for. So, um, you just need to get what's yours while the getting is good. If any opportunity presents itself, you need to take that opportunity despite who it hurts because, Life is not going to be nice to you. Life is not going to be fair. And so the the what Jesus presents is just it's just so hard and 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 seems nearly impossible to to follow. Michelangelo, the great Renaissance artist, Renaissance and that he painted and that he sculpted sculpted. So he was able to work in multiple mediums. He's absolutely brilliant. He, one of his most famous works is the Pieta, where his mother Mary is is holding him after he's been crucified. And it's a beautiful work because one, it's out of, you know, pure Carrera marble. It's like, it's just like almost like a precious stone. It's so beautiful and, and lucent. And um, what's, what's nice about the Pieta is that Michelangelo uh, sculpted raised veins in Jesus's body. So he's dead, but Michelangelo's little clue that he's still alive is that his veins, uh, or that he's going to rise from the dead, is that his, his, his veins are raised in his body. And he had full understanding of anatomy. He knows that dead people don't have veins that, that are the blood's pumping through. So that's a beautiful little piece on the Pieta. But I mean, think of like Mary is holding 
her ultimate sacrifice. Now, I can definitely not go down this path, but Mary knew, like, even from day one, that she would have to sacrifice the thing that she loved most, which was her son. And of course, God the Father does this too. And that is, I mean, if we have one more reason to venerate Mary, is I mean, she she sacrificed her own son for the betterment of humanity. Now that one's tough. So I want you to think about like, like, what do you sacrifice? You know, would you, would you be willing to sacrifice your child? Of course that harkens back to this, you know, the, the archetypal story of uh, Abraham and Isaac. So like, the only thing that, that Abraham wanted is he wanted an heir. He wanted a boy, and he was promised a boy. And so God gives him a boy, and then like almost like a cruel twist of fate, then God the Father requires Abraham to sacrifice the thing that he loves most. And, I mean, it seems very, it seems very like abusive and sadistic, but, but Abraham goes... He goes that path, and um, of course, the story ends well. God stays Abraham's hand and 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 replaces uh, Isaac with with a ram. When Jesus, I mean, that's a that's a good that story ends good. Although it might be a little disturbing. Um, I mean, he could have failed. I mean, I mean, could you imagine if he would have failed? If he would have been like, "Yeah, no, no God, I'm not going to sacrifice that." Um, I would say that all of our sacrifices probably fall short in comparison to what Mary has done, and in comparison to what Abraham has done, what God the Father has done. Like all of our our sacrifices like we just we <clears throat> excuse me we just lose all the time like we're always losing on this one because we're you know we're we're selfish and we're brutish and i'm short so like we're all we, we all have those and like we all come up short we all fall short of the glory of god but what's beautiful about jesus is that he wins this one where where Cain demonstrates that failure is as a part of, of human nature. Like we're, again, he's just, I got to get what's mine. And he, and he fails that test. And that's something that we still deal with to this day. Like God wins this one. Like Jesus wins, like he overcomes that temptation of the expediency of like, you can have everything you want and you can have it now. You can be blessed and you can have it now. Like Jesus wins that, that battle over temptation. And then he wins this, demonstration of the ultimate sacrifice and laying down his own life like it, it's huge so um, whether you whether you're a person of faith or not if you are a person of faith I'll, I'll, I'll close with this and saying seek after what is meaningful and not what it's not only um immediate like immediate pleasure like like we kind of understand like that's probably not a good thing so we can i think and at least logically we can say uh 
I, I, I get the idea that that immediacy is not good. Like I need to, I need to invest. I can sacrifice now so I can pay myself back later. So at least, you know, we, we understand like immediacy is, is not good. Like the instant gratification thing is not good. We all can agree with that, at least in theory, whether we live it or practice it or not. We all know that that's probably the better way to live. And yet there is a higher calling of meaning that is beyond planning for the future for ourselves. Meaning is something that is not a strategy that we work for. Meaning comes from outside in and is transcendent. And I, and I don't know if I know how to articulate that, but meaning is is something that that we don't quite understand or logically can lo- can logically uh, determine meaningfulness purpose is is a destiny from the outside and it's a relationship that we need to go into that we need to say my life is 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 not what Solomon said it's not vanity and I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong it's in there for a reason to highlight to us that if we don't choose Jesus, if we don't choose the ultimate meaning, that we will fall into this this meaningless life, even though we've got all the toys, even though that we've accomplished our goals, even though that we've sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice to get the, to get what we want in the long term. Now, if there's if there's not a meaning that 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 comes from the outside in that doesn't transcend. Um, then it's going to be that it will be futile. Then it will all just be uh, dust in the wind. It will all just be blown from here to there. So, uh, what does that mean for us to search out meaning and when when the pain of life and the reality of sacrifice hits us when we when we become self-aware and self-conscious, not only to the broken world, but to the answer to the broken world, which is the meaning of the person of Jesus Christ and what what he won on the cross um, and in his life. Like if we go into a relationship like that, well then, um, like we don't need to freak out if we don't have bread or we don't need to freak out if, you know, if we don't have our needs met, or we, and we don't have to freak out if we don't have the power of the world, the power of the nations, and and, and functioning under that. No, we can we can live a higher spiritual life. Now, I would recommend that everyone, if you're interested in in in, in this concept, probably get the book. If all, just go over chapter seven, and I would even suggest listening to it in the audio form because, and and I'll, I'll tell you, it's a little heady, it's a little much because it's just there's psychology and theology all mixed up into it. It gets very philosophical on the purpose of life, but it's probably the most profound chapter that I think I've ever read. And I don't feel like I've done it justice, but I will, I will, it would be beneficial if you heard this chapter from 
Jordan Peterson's own voice because it just comes off as being very prophetic and and almost as if it's coming from the Lord. I'm not saying that it's scripture, of course, but there's an understanding that he has of this concept um, that gets into the very core of our existence. So that was Rule 7. Um, thanks again for listening or watching, and God bless you all. Um, I hope that you, uh, this might not have been the most encouraging thing, probably the more challenging of them all, but there is great hope in finding meaning. So if you're floundering, if you're like confused about what your purpose is and what God's will is for your life, I just seek meaning and find it in the person and in the story of Jesus. That's what I believe this chapter is going over. Again, God bless you guys, and I'll see you next time. Peace.